Good evening, everyone. Let's just pray. Father, just thank you that we can come together and join together and just hear your words. Thank you for the Bible that you've given us. And Lord, um, I just pray this evening that you would just inspire all that is said and done here for your glory, for your fame, and for your name. Be glorified, Lord Jesus, in your name. Amen. So we're continuing our series looking at Isaiah, just like um, what Matt said. And um, I've got um, Isaiah chapters 13 through to 23. And um, it's entitled, Oracles of Judgment Against Babylon and the Nations. So that's what we're having a look at. And um, it might seem that uh, you might think to yourself, well, 10 chapters of God kind of describing um, his judgment against 10 nations. Think to yourself, that seems a little bit like God is going on a bit, like it's a bit of a rant, Um, but it's not. What God is trying to describe is that how how important uh, this is. Um, how much he's aggrieved by the nation's sin, by their wickedness, um, by their rebellion, that this is serious and uh, that his judgments are serious but just because he is a just God. So I want to start by setting the scene. I want you to imagine that you are a Jew living in Jerusalem um, at the time of Isaiah. Um, I'd like you to imagine that you've heard the stories of the Lord. You've heard the highlights that have been passed down to you through your parents and through your grandparents. They've told you about the good old glory days where Moses um, was taking the Israelites uh, through the desert. You've heard the good old glory days Um, of uh, Joshua and his victories going into the land of Canaan. You've heard of the good old glory days um, of the judges and David and and defeating the Midianites. You've heard about King David and his victories. And you've heard about Solomon and his splendor. You've heard all of the good stuff, all of Israel's triumphs. But have you been told the full story? Have you heard about Israel's failures as well as her triumphs? And do you know God's law? Now, as we heard last week, um, you now live in a divided nation. You live in the southern part uh, called Judah. And there was a northern part called Israel. There's two kingdoms. And these two kingdoms despise one another. Each has its capital, each has its religious epicenter, and each has its separate monarchy. You may even have heard, uh, had your own knowledge of God and your spiritual practices influenced by the kings that have ruled at that time. So at this time, there would have been two kings spanning your lifetime. There would have been King Ahaz, 
And then he was succeeded by his son, um, King Hezekiah. And with King Ahaz's reign, King Ahaz mixed the worship of the Lord with the worship of all the other gods around. It said that he worshipped under every spreading tree. He even sacrificed his own son in the fire. And he copied and constructed an altar that he'd seen in Damascus, an Assyrian altar, and had that placed in the temple of the Lord. And he instructed the priests to sacrifice on that and that he would use the altar of the Lord just for guidance. This is the spiritual formation that you've been placed upon. And I think this would have had an influence on your ideas about God, about your practices of how you worship. And then came his son, Hezekiah, who was a better king. And under the prophecies of Isaiah, there's a reformation, there's um, a reform under King Hezekiah. And all of this, I believe, would have affected your spiritual formation, your spiritual understanding, your spiritual experiences. And it's into this backdrop that Isaiah declares his prophecies. Now remember, you are a Jew in Jerusalem. And so if you'd have heard um, Isaiah's prophecies against Babylon and the other nations, that would have come as good news. Brilliant. God at last is going to do something about the nations around us. About these nations that have attacked us and oppressed us and invaded us. Fantastic at last. Yes, God, come, judge them, find them guilty. Punish them. Grant us peace. At last, God is going to do something about them. And these oracles um, would have been great news to your ears. And God holds all kinds of different sins and injustices against each of these ten nations. But there's some common themes. The common themes are that all of these nations have in common is that God holds against them their pride, their boastfulness, that they want to make a name for themselves, their violence, their idolatry, their injustice, their oppression against God's people, and their rejection of the Lord, the creator God of heaven and earth. And God sets about declaring his judgments on these ten nations. And they were Babylon, Assyria, Philistia, Moab, Damascus, Cush, Egypt, Edom, Arabia, and Tyre. And many of those nations were historically against Israel and Judah and were his historic enemies. But what I want you to see through all of this judgment is that God has a plan. Let me just say that again. God has a plan. 
Isaiah chapter 14, verse 26 to 27 says these words. This is the plan determined for the whole world. This is the hand stretched out over all the nations. For the Lord Almighty has purposed, and who can thwart him? His hand is stretched out, and who can turn it back? Everything that is going to happen to these nations stops God's plan, and nothing and no one can stop it. So for you, as the Jew in Jerusalem, so far, all is great news. God's going to do something about your enemies. Yes! Brilliant! But then comes some judgment your own way. Not so brilliant. A little bit more uncomfortable. Because God holds things against Jerusalem. Instead of Judah placing her trust in the Lord, she's placed her trust in her military might. She's placed her trust in alliances with other nations. And because of Judah's corporate sin, the kingdom will be invaded and be sent into exile by the Babylonians. And then the Babylonians will eventually be conquered by the Medes. And even on the day of exile, Isaiah says that even then, Jerusalem will still refuse to listen to the Lord. Instead of repentance, she will indulge in joy and revelry, in eating of wine and in the drinking of wine. Judah will want to go out with a bang instead of humbling herself, repenting and asking the Lord for mercy. But in all of this, still there is hope. Isaiah prophesies about a glorious future hope, not just of the renewal of Judah and Israel, but also of some of the judged nations. There is a hope for Egypt, Assyria, and Israel. And this is what Isaiah says in Isaiah chapter 19, verse 24 and 25. In that day, Israel will be the third, along with Egypt and Assyria, a blessing on the earth. The Lord Almighty will bless them, saying, blessed be Egypt, my people, Assyria, my handiwork, and Israel, my inheritance. There's even a future hope for Cush, Isaiah chapter 18, verse 7. At that time, gifts will be brought to the Lord Almighty from a people tall and smooth-skinned, from a people feared far and wide, and by recursive nation of strange speech, whose land is divided by rivers. The gifts will be brought to Mount Zion, the place of the name of the Lord Almighty. And there's even a, a hope of sorts for Tyre. Isaiah chapter 23, verse 17 and 18 says this At the end of 70 years, the Lord will deal with Tyre. 
she will return to her lucrative prostitution and will ply her trade with all the kingdoms on the face of the earth. Doesn't sound so good so far, does it? But hang on. Yet, her profit and earnings will be set apart for the Lord. They will not be stored up or hoarded. Her profits will go to those who live before the Lord for abundant food and fine clothes. There is hope amongst judgment. There is hope, hope of a future. And even in Isaiah, in these 10 chapters, there's even more that we could say. On Babylon chapter 14, verse 12 to 17, describes God's judgment on Babylon. But in these verses, you get a glimpse of, yes, it being about Babylon and her king. But also you could interpret it as, as God's judgment against Satan and his demise as the tempter of the nations. But we won't go into that tonight. Instead, we're going to have a look at what these 10 chapters have to say for us. So what is Isaiah saying to us? Well, the first thing to say is that God has a plan. He has a plan for your life, just like he had a plan for the nations. Sometimes, when we're in times of trouble, times of anguish, times of desperation, we might not be able to see clearly what that plan is, or we might not be able to see that plan at all. But God is still at work in your life. He is still leading you to that end that he wants for your life. He still has a plan. Even when everything day crazy. It's true for us today as it was true for the nations in Isaiah's day. Romans chapter 8 verse 28 says this, And we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. Whatever is going on in your life, God has the power to turn all of those experiences, both good and bad, both joyful and painful, to your good. To bring about his purposes in your life. Just like how the judgments on the nations weren't there just to destroy them, but were there to bring them to the knowledge of God and to repentance. He was working for their good in his judgments. Secondly, there is hope. We have 10 chapters of what seems when you read it, just God having all painful things to say to all of the nations. Truth, but painful to read and look at. There is but within it all, there's still hope. There is still hope. 
And that reminds me that of that when we go in times of trouble and anguish, there is still hope. God is still communicating to us a message of hope. And I believe that what he wants us to do is to find the hope that he is communicating to us and to focus on that when the storms of life come and batter on our doors. Find the hope. Focus on the hope. Get your strength from that hope and let that hope guide you through the storm that you are facing. See the hope that God has for you and is communicating to you and let that sustain you. You know, there was hope for some of the nations that God judged. He spoke about those hopes. And I believe that kind of is a pointer to a, an even more distant future hope that God was trying to communicate. The time when the whole world would be redeemed and restored and made new. When the kingdom of God would fully come upon the earth in the new heaven and the new earth. When the new perfect Jerusalem would come from heaven and be placed on the earth. And Revelation chapter 21 verse 24 says this, On that day, the nations, even the nations that God judged in Isaiah, the nations will walk by its light and the kings of the earth will bring their splendor into it, into the new Jerusalem. There is a future hope. And lastly, what else can we take from these passages? Well, I believe it's about self-examination. You know, when we read about God's judgment, it could be so easy for us and so tempting to say, you know what? I see that in our world. I see that in our nation. And point a finger and say, yes, judge them. Judge that. But you know, I don't believe that that's what Jesus wants us to do. Matthew chapter 7, verse 1 and 2. I'm sure we all know these words. But Jesus said, do not judge, or you too will be judged. For in the same way as you judge others, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Jesus said these words, why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when all the time there is a plank in your own eye? You hypocrite, first take the plank out of your own eye and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. That's Matthew chapter 7, verse 3 and 5. You know, as Christians, I don't believe that it's our job to judge others, to judge other nations 
other people, even our own nation, individuals. It's not our job to do that. It's God's job. He is the just judge. He is the only one He's the right to be able to give out judgments against others because he is the only one who is perfect in his judgment and in his justice. But instead, in Matthew 7, verse 3 to 5, we get this flavor that we're supposed to, as followers of Jesus, examine ourselves. Turn the finger upon ourselves and look honestly and humbly at our own lives. And when we do that with Isaiah and these 10 chapters, I believe that we get a sense of looking at how our hearts are at the moment. So I'd like to ask us all, including myself, some provocative questions just to get us thinking and to see where the Holy Spirit might be pointing us in the right direction. You know, the things that God had against the nations was pride. So where is pride lurking in our lives? God had boasting and arrogance held against the nations. Any arrogance within us as in individuals? What are we boasting in? God held against the nations this idea that they were seeking their own fame. Are we self-serving or do we want to serve others? What's our motives? And who do we depend on? One of the things that God held against Judah was that it stopped trusting in the Lord and started trusting on its own military might and its alliances with nations around it that were stronger than it. So who do we depend on? Do we depend on God or something or someone else? Is God our highest priority in life or is he overshadowed by something else? And how are our relationships with others? Remember, these were nations that were warring against one another. For centuries had been warring against each other. Even Judah and Israel despised ships one another and at war with one another. How are our relationships with each other? Are we truly loving our neighbor? Or are we jealous, envious, or despising of each other? What's our relationships like? I believe that was God, his, his oracles, his prophecies, or his judgments against the nations, we can turn that to ourselves and self-examine and say, what is my heart like, Holy Spirit? Show me where I need to repent. Show me where I need to confess. And remember, 
that when we confess, we are forgiven. One of the things um, that Jerusalem did wrong was that they had an opportunity to confess their sin and repent and be forgiven by God. But instead, they decided to joyfully revel in their own sin. And that led them into exile and invasion. We have an opportunity to do something completely different. We have the opportunity to come and to confess and to repent as followers of our sin and be forgiven. Because as followers of Jesus, we want to be more like Christ. That's our goal, to become more like him, to have more Christ-likeness. And so to do that, we need to continually self-examine and see if we are progressing in our Christ-likeness or if we have become stagnant or worse, allowing things to erode our uniqueness as God's people. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the